Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, welcome back to the Dungeon of Doom. We've gotten in a couple of naps. I think we've fully recovered from the week that was the NFL Combine. I'm Kyle Mikey with Ben Raven with the, the MLive Beat coming the Detroit Lions here. And Ben, it's post-Combine, which of course means mock draft season for better or worse. And I, I, I would say worse, like just from my perspective, it's not my favorite exercise in the world, but I know people get really into it. So don't lie. How long did you spend doing your mock draft? About... Two and a half days. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, it's just cause like, I don't know, there's something when you put your name on a headline, you take it, it's just like, okay, this isn't just like a mock draft I'm doing for myself. Like I would back in the day, this is like, what day is it? It's Thursday. I probably started Monday night, Tuesday morning. And then the NFL world got flipped on its head and had to do some updating on it. But yeah, it's nice to be talking at a humane time. And after sleeping in my own bed, feeling good. It. You know, I mean, I just, I put a lot of time into mine as well. And then I'm maybe a third of the way through and I'm making write-ups and feeling good about it. And then bleeping Adam Schefter, which is what I call him this time of year, blows up my phone with the franchise tag for, for Cam Robinson in, in Jacksonville. So then I have to like reconsider where I'm at, you know, and I went back and forth on what to do for the Lions, thinking about what the Jacksonville Jaguars could do for themselves. And I saw a lot of the hot takes out there, which is what drives the draft industrial complex, which, you know, I love and hate it all, all at the same time. And we, you and I were just talking about this before recording, but it's like, there's just this appetite for more and more and more content when it comes to the draft. And so everyone is just waiting to be the next person with the hottest take or the newest take that's not already out there. And so I think a lot of the, this drives an idea that, oh, hey, so Jacksonville just franchise tag their left tackle, Cam Robinson. So they must not need an offensive tackle in the draft. So Aiden Hutchinson, who was my pick to Detroit. And I'm like, oh, I guess that kind of makes sense. And then I just thought about it and I'm like, that doesn't make sense really to me at all. And and I'm not in Jacksonville. I don't even cover Jacksonville. So who knows what they're thinking? But man, Robinson's a, a pretty good player. He's not like a star player. Got the franchise tag last year. He get that this year, which means he almost certainly won't get it next year. And if they're putting the tag on them twice in a row, Ben, to me, that signals there's probably not going to be a long-term deal in the works anyway between those two sides. So I, that move to me, Ben, did not affect my thinking when it came to my mock draft, which dropped earlier this week on, on MLive. I had Aiden Hutchinson going to Michigan. I saw that you did as well. So there's a lot of, I think, consensus building around that pick. And it was maybe the Cam Robinson franchise tag that is affecting some people's thinking. What were your thoughts when, you know, when all that was going down this week? 
Yeah, we went through the same exact process, and I just kind of came back to Cam Robinson. I mean, two franchise tags in a row. Like you said, there's no long-term deal there. He's a solid left tackle, but he's not one I would bet Trevor Lawrence's health and protection on. Like, I mean, it's two Band-Aids in a row with a franchise tag. I understand it costs $16 million. I understand he's been a durable left tackle. I think he ranked 50th among all tackles per pro football focus last year. If you're talking about protecting Trevor Lawrence into the next decade, I mean, that's what you're hoping for when you have the number one overall pick is to get a cornerstone offensive tackle. I mean, there's three guys I'd rather have than Cam Robinson at the top of the board. Icky, Cross, or Neal, I think, are fits for what that team needs to do. I mean, I would have serious anxiety throwing Trevor Lawrence behind that offensive line in year two here. I mean, that's a big problem. That kid needs time. You need to keep him standing up. And I just, uh, yeah, if, if, if the discussion was more about Aiden Hutchinson proving himself as a lean athlete, I would buy into that. But it just seems to be, oh, they're spending $16 million on Robinson. They're clearly going to take Hutchinson now. And I, ju- I just don't buy into that. I agree with you. I, they won the, the, the freaking lottery mm-hmm. by t- being able to take Trevor Lawrence, right? Like he was the best quarterback prospect in that class. He would be miles ahead of anybody in this class. I mean, that, that guy's a special talent. And they already burned through one year of that guy's career on whatever the Urban Meyer thing was. And you got to invest seriously in making that guy successful and building around him because you've already won the lottery. Now you got to make it pay off for you. And it doesn't, to me, really make sense to go away from offensive tackle when you're in a position to grab the exact guy that you want in this entire. So I guess as it relates with, with, with an offensive tackle off the board, you went with Iggy from North Carolina State. Yep. I went with Evan Neal from Alabama. Uh, I don't think we can, go, we can go wrong with either player. But offensive tackle, both of us have one overall in our mock drafts to Jacksonville which of course sets up a lot of different options for Detroit. I really don't think the list is as long as, again, this draft industrial complex is trying to make it sound <laughs> as you feed the content into the beast of the internet. I know a lot of Kyle Hamilton talk is out there, the safety from Notre Dame. You know, I, you're just seeing a lot of names pop up because I think people need to put content out there, Ben. But really for me, it comes down to they need a pass rusher. Pass rusher is the most important position in the league besides quarterback. It's a quarterback's league. You need a quarterback to win this league. You also need guys who can rush the quarterback in this league because of that. And look at the quarterback play that's spiking across the league. Like you need a pass rusher always, and you need it, need it now more than ever. The Lions don't really have a high-end guy like that. They're probably, like who knows what's going to happen with Trey Flowers. And, and even if he is back on a pay cut, they still need a top-end pass rusher for these four, three defensive fronts they want to run. And it just makes so much sense that you'd be in that position to take a pass rusher that you would take a pass rusher as opposed to reaching for, say, like a safety or, or whatever, or, or a quarterback even. And, you know, if, if a quarterback was there with taking, then you would take him. I don't think any of these quarterbacks are worth it. There's no sure thing. The only guy with a high ceiling in this draft is Malik Willis, and he has a very low floor. And I just don't think the Lions at this stage of the rebuild can really take that gamble. So for me, it really comes down Ben to pass rusher. We both agree on, on Aiden Hutchinson from Detroit. Kayvon Thibodeau is obviously out there too from Oregon. He was one time considered the, the number one pick and, and I think has fallen down a little bit of boards because of some character issues, some motor questions and so forth. And we're going to get into that later in the podcast. Uh, we got an excellent interview we already did from Indianapolis with James Krapia, the Oregonian, uh, Oregon beat writer. He does a great job with a great uh, interview. It's already in the bag on on Kayvon and getting an insider look, really, in a, a guy who's covered Kayvon Thibodeau the last couple of years and been there every day and is, is well-connected to that program and, and his family. And so we'll get a, a good insider look into these concerns that exist with Kayvon and, and how real they are. But for now, I guess, as we talk about our picks, Ben, why did you go with Hutchinson over, over Kayvon Thibodeau? I just think Hutchinson checks every single box you would want 
to have checked when you're taking an edge defender that high in the top three. At pick number two, I mean, he proved himself as an elite athlete. I didn't really need to see that indie performance to know that. I watched him all year this year. You know, we had the luxury of that, of feeling really familiar with one of the top guys in the draft. And it's just high motor, high production. And I just think the concerns with his shorter than he'd like to see arms and like some slight concerns with his bend. I don't know. This guy, he's agile. He's powerful. And that production is just so hard to ignore. And I think he just fits what they're trying to do in three-man fronts or four-man fronts. I mean, seriously, Mike McDonald let him stand up more last year and rush the passer and really just pin his ears back and rush. And I mean, Heisman runner up from getting to do what he does best. I just think He's a little more versatile than he gets credit for. I don't think they're going to ask him to drop back like anything crazy or anything like that, but he is a very capable athlete who moves well in space and just, it, it was a no-brainer for me. I mean, it, it was Hutch and then it was Kayvon and Trayvon Walker by a considerable margin on my one, two, and three selections there. I didn't give, I didn't give Hamilton or Willis too much thought. I understand the discussion, but just this team needs too much and there's a real opportunity here to really correct something. And, and that's Aiden Hutchinson. Yeah, I... I agree. If I if I had any questions about his game, it would be his, his his athleticism, and it was mostly just based on what I was hearing. I'm, I'm not covering that program. I I watched a few games. I watched the Ohio State game. I watched him eat Ohio State alive. <laughs> I watched him put there Munford. You know, NFL. He's going to be playing on Sundays this fall. I watched him put Munford on his ass in that game, and then went to the combine and got to ask Munford about it, which was a lot of fun. That <laughs> <laughs> was fun. You can check out them live if you want. But hey, Hutchinson was the, the, the production speaks for itself. It's not just the 14 sacks. He had something like 70 pressures last year. It's approximation, but it's in that ballpark, and 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 just the production was really steady from a guy who was getting a lot of double and triple teams and chips and all those things that premier pass rushers get. And he was still productive, which you love to see. I, I guess the question that had existed and the things that I was reading about him and hearing about him was the athleticism. And, you know, he went to Indianapolis and listen, everyone outside of the NFL puts more emphasis on the combine than people inside the NFL do. It's a made for TV event at this point. Like it's fun watching 340 pound defensive tackles run for whatever's, but how much does that apply to the NFL game and project to the NFL game? I mean... Who knows? Like, like, like it's usually for most NFL teams, they're using the combine to confirm what they already think about a player's athleticism. And if a player runs faster um, or slower than expected, then they go back and check out the tape and try to figure out where in the evaluation, may, you know, where they're missing something. And I think the, the, the combine confirmed for me that Aiden Hutchinson's a top-end athlete. He didn't have the same 40 as, as Thibodeau. is pretty average, but the, the, the split was basically identical. Hmm. And Kayvon, that his game is get off. So if you have a similar, you know, sh- you know, a, a split to, to Kayvon, you're doing pretty all right. I mean, his broad jump was incredible. His, you know, his his cone drill was incredible. The, the explosive measures were off the charts. He he was measuring with you know the best receivers and defensive backs in the draft, and he did it at 260 pounds. So he's a freak. He, you know, he you know RAS the the great thing that Kentley Platt Math Bomb on Twitter has developed. It basically measures how it compares to everyone else at his position. It's on a one to ten scale. Ten would mean that you max out every you know size, speed, strength kind of drill. And Hutchinson's RAS was nearly a ten. It, it ranked in the top twenty ever in the history of like the combine and pro days. This guy is an off the charts athlete. So it really, for me, just confirms to me what we'd already been hearing, which is that Hutchinson is a candidate for a top one, top two, top three kind of pick. And I already went into the combine, Ben, thinking that he was the favorite for Detroit because I was hearing that he was the favorite for Detroit, that Detroit loves him, that Dan Campbell loves him. I mean, the, 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 the culture fit is there. And when you think about what they did last year with Panay Sewell, I mean, there's a lot of things, a lot of ways they could have gone with that pick. 
And if they pick Sewell, obviously, because he can play offensive tackle super well. But they also picked him because of the culture fit. He brings the attitude, the, the intensity, the physicality they want to build this team around. And for a team that's completely revamping their roster, their organization, like the culture fit matters more now than it will in three or four or five years. It'll always matter. But when you're building the foundation of the team, it's super important to, to, to identify the types of guys you're bringing in, not just the guys you're bringing in. Amon Ross St. Brown is another great example of that. You know, I, I think they went to day three with him as the, their priority last year. And it was, of course, because he can catch footballs, but also it's like, hey, look at this guy. Absolutely take this, this block this guy into the freaking bleachers. I must have a word you're not supposed to. <laughs> they love the tape, and that's why they got him, because Amon Ra fit that physicality, that vision that they wanted. And there he is on the first day of training camp of, of pads starting a fight. <laughs> like, I mean, like that's, that's the demeanor they want. That's Aiden Hutchinson, Ben. And is it Kayvon Thibodeau? Who knows? Like there, was, there are those questions and fair or not, those questions exist. And I think the Lions hold some of those questions. Those questions do not exist, exist with Aiden Hutchinson. His motor never stops. He loves ball. He, he, you talk to anybody around Ann Arbor, they talk about this guy uh, and what he brought to that program in terms of the physicality and the intensity and the meanness. He is what they're looking for. I, you know, he confirmed the athleticism. He already had the physicality. To me, if he's there, to me, he's the, he's the pick for Detroit. Yeah. And whenever I do a radio or a pod outside podcast and they ask me what kind of guys are Detroit looking for? And it's like, like you said, with St. Brown and Sewell, I mean, they're looking for high motor, fearless ass kickers. I mean, <laughs> totally. those three, I mean, those three, that's what St. Brown is. That's what Sewell is. That's what I see when I see Aiden Hutchinson. I mean, it's really, I mean, high motor, fearless ass kickers. I mean, seriously, St. Brown, first day of practice, like you said, fighting Sewell, not backing down from Aaron Donald, yeah. chirping at Miles Garrett as he runs off the field. I mean, that's what they're looking for. That is absolutely what they're looking for. And I mean, yeah, we, we threw it around. We found some Dan Campbell guys in Indy. And I mean, I think Aiden Hutchinson's yeah. near the top of that list, if not sitting alone at the top, for sure. I think one of my favorite moments from Panay Sewell all last year was week, I don't I always forget because they redid everything, but week 17, I guess, right? So it's second to last <laughs> game of the year. We're in Seattle and they're getting their asses kicked. And it's like, what, at that point, two-win team, right? In the second to last game of the year against it's like, what, four-win team or whatever? And Panay Sewell, like, I forget how the drive ended, but the drive ended and Panay Sewell is like running backward toward the Lions sideline, like waving at the Seahawks sideline. <laughs> like that guy is just so intense and so physical. And I, I was like laughing. I'm like, man, this guy, this is what Dan Campbell loves about this guy. But you, you flip on the Michigan tape and I, like, I don't know, like, I don't know if, if Aiden Hutchinson's going to be the player that Nick Bosa is or Chase Young or some of these other, like premier pass rushers we've seen go on the, in the, in the top of the draft the past few years, but you can only take what's, what's available. Yeah. Like uh, you can, you can't change the market. You can only like do what you can. And if the offensive tackle goes first overall, which we both presume will happen, like to me, Hutchinson's the pick because if Kayvon achieves his greatest potential in every possible way, is he going to be the better player than Aiden Hutchinson? Absolutely. Yeah. Like he's just built that way, but I think he has a lower you know, floor is not, maybe not quite the like type of dude they want to, you know, build the fabric of, of this locker room around. And when you're drafting a kind of top two in the second year of regime change before you even have the quarterback, I mean, that's, this is going to be a, a tent post for what you're trying to do. And so that to me, again, it just affirms to me that the Lions, I, I really will go with, with Hutchinson over the field.
Yeah, and that's one thing. It's uh, the Bosa comparison always comes up. The Ringer had my favorite comp for Aiden Hutchinson, and we'll get into the next phase after that. But it was souped up Max Crosby, and it, uh, that's that's. And once I read that, and you go back and you look at some stuff, and you really see that. I mean, it is really. It's like a souped up Max Crosby. So it's like, don't get down on the Bosa talk because. You know, I, I get that too. He might not have the ceiling. He might not have the ceiling at Kayvon, like you said. I mean, you're going to hear it in our talk with James from Oregon. I mean, he compares that guy to Von Miller in a couple of situations. And like, if your ceiling is Von Miller, yeah, you're probably one of the best players in this draft with the highest ceiling. But like you said, there's a lot more risk. There's more. There's more. I mean, there are concerns with the fit when really with Hutchinson. I mean, I, I have to really fight to find a concern on that guy, and I'm not going to sit here and nitpick arm length because look at what he did at the top level of college football with those short arms. That is the concern, though, I think, because no no prospect's perfect, mm-hmm. and certainly not in this draft. But I think where I think this draft is, it has a deep middle class, but I think the upper class is not as deep as we're used to. Like, yeah. last year was pretty insane. Sewell was the seventh overall pick. Wild. Uh, I mean, and he was elite, and Jamar Chase was ahead of him, Jalen Waddell, like, a lot of Devonta Smith, mm-hmm. like, I mean, Trevor Lawrence, we'll see what happens with him, but there's a lot to like about the ability there at the top. I mean, it, 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 that's a deep upper class, and I don't know if this draft has that. And so, you know, the, the, that's the time of year where you are splitting hairs, and Lions are in the fortunate position of being able to split those hairs. They have the number two overall pick. So, hey, if they're deeper down the draft and Kayvon Thibodeau were there for them, they would jump at that opportunity because of the ability that's there and, and the possibilities. But they don't have to take that roll of the dice because they are in a position to go get the guy they want. And, you know... It, like Aiden Hutchinson is a quality, quality prospect, but it's not perfect. And you mentioned the arm length. I think it was 32 and one eighth inches, if I am not mistaken. I, it's kind of scary. I can recite uh, yeah, I know. Uh, and, uh, arm length of a 21-year-old, but, you know, <laughs> it's that type of that, that time of the year. So weird job. Uh, yeah, <laughs> really weird. I did not envision this for myself. I'm not going to journalism school, but, you know, it. Like, I just think we dice up these guys too much sometimes. I, I, I really do laugh at the hand size thing when it comes to quarterbacks. I wrote a pretty sarcastic post for them live about the Kenny Pickett thing. We're just talking about hand size. Really? Not a game. Not a game. Not a game. We're talking about hand size? I mean, it's just absurd, I, I think. There's no real metrics linking hand size to quarterback aptitude or performance. Conversely, there are some metrics that are showing that with Edge rushers, length matters. Mm-hmm. Like arm, arm length matters. You know, it helps you disengage from blocks and opens up uh, a deeper bag of opportunities and pass rushing moves. That you know, it's I think that matters more than your raw forty yard dash time, to be honest. And so when Aiden Hutchinson measures in with the second shortest arms among all players at that position, I think he'd have the shortest arms. I mean, you know, of any edge rusher in Detroit right now. Mm-hmm. I, I do think it's it's something that you have to work through. I, I don't know if concern is the right word, but it is something they have to look at the tape on and project because, as we've seen repeatedly, a quarterback can be great in college and be a bust in the NFL because he doesn't have the physical abilities to break what NFL defenses can do to him. And it's conversely the same thing with an edge rusher with short arms. Maybe, like you said, like the tape is there, mm-hmm. the production is there, but tape and production aren't enough. You also have to, to understand how is this body type going to translate to a game where everyone's a little bit bigger, a little bit faster, a little bit stronger. The schemes are more sound. They can scheme against your weaknesses. Uh, against your strengths, whatever. So it's important. I, I don't know how big of a concern it is. I really don't think it's going to be an inhibitor for, for Detroit to take the pick, but I, I do think that that is something that is not nothing either, that it's something they'll have to work through in the evaluation.
I think you're right there. I think it'll be, if he lands in Detroit, I think it'll be the thing that they work on day one. Let's like, let's see this in action. What do we got to plan around? What do we got to plan for? I think Romeo Aquara is a nice guy to be with on day one. If he's up and running by the time it goes on, you know, I don't have Romeo's arm length memorized, but just kind of like a, <laughs> a powerful, strong 33 and change. Yeah. Just, uh, I, I just think, yeah, like you said, it's a concern, but it's not a concern enough to push you away from him. It's just. I think that's what you're going to figure out what you got to work with on day one, for sure. It, it's a focus area for sure. But yeah, we've talked about Aiden and we both went, you know, different directions at, at number three in our box too, but I'm just uh, to continue the conversations. I think Kayvon Thibodeau is probably the runner up for the Lions pick just with, you know, with what's available to them and positional value and, and so forth. So just to continue that conversation, we've talked a lot about Kayvon and the potential red flags, with motor and attitude and perceived issues with his like love for football and a lot of it stems from his he has just so many interests outside of the game and I don't think it's a bad thing it's weird for me to even be talking about it in these terms I just talk about it in these terms because it's what NFL teams think about they want a guy especially in this day and age where guys are retiring early more than ever and everything else they want a guy who loves football these questions are dominating the draft process nowadays they have the coaches have different ways of driving at that issue and fair or not this is an issue with Kayvon Thibodeau because he has in NFT after, you know, and a big, not a Bitcoin, but a, a cryptocurrency that's like literally that he created and he's got sponsorships with airlines and shoe companies and everything else and plays chess. And I mean, he, he talks like um, a businessman, you know, like yeah. Jay-Z, yeah. Like, he's not a businessman, he's a businessman. Like that's just how he talks. And I think it's pretty impressive. I walked away from his chat in Indianapolis impressed by him. He's an impressive individual. But I see why teams would have questions about him and his love for football, especially when you pair it with the tape, which is phenomenal at times and a, a void at times. He just disappears for long stretches. And, he, and even Kayvon Thibodeau, to his credit, talked in Indianapolis about how he needs a deeper bag of tricks, that when guys blunt his first move, a lot of times he doesn't have second and third and fourth moves to go to. And he specifically cited Hutchinson as a guy who has developed that more to this point. So these are, are real questions with him. I think we should cut to the tape at this point. He addressed the red flags, potential red flags, perceived red flags about his motor and love for the game. So let's cue that up. I think the biggest thing I kind of want to articulate to the teams is that I'm really a student of the game, right? I really love this game. This is something that it's done a lot for me, right? Football has taught me a lot. It's helped me grow a lot. And, you know, through my life, it, it, it'll be there until the day I die, right? So. For me, just letting teams know that this is the main thing and I'm always going to keep the main thing the main thing, no matter what else I do off the field. You know, football is my main focus and, you know, winning a Super Bowl, getting a yellow jacket, being, you know, defensive rookie of the year is, you know, on my list of goals. Well, I don't think I necessarily had to convince teams of it, but that's the media narrative, right? There always has to be some narrative that's drawn. And for me, I'm an L.A. kid, and if you know the, the adversity that I went through to get here and the things that I had to sacrifice and, and the things that my mother had to sacrifice for me to be here, you really understand how I feel in my heart. And when you talk about fire, when you talk about passion, I think that's – it, 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 you can't be really explaining it. You know what I mean? I get emotional thinking about it because all the sacrifices it took me to get here, I wouldn't even have made those sacrifices if I didn't let a game, you know? So – I'm just, I'm blessed to be here and I'm, I'm just happy that, you know, these teams, they want to talk to me and they want to get to know me. Like I said, Ben, he's an impressive guy, you know, and, and, and we'll see. I, I do think it's going to deter the Lions, I, I think. Like, who knows, right? Who knows? But I think it's going to, I just, I don't see that lining up with what the Lions are looking for, especially if Hayden Hutchinson is there. What, what do you think on Hutchinson? How concerned are you by about these perceived red flags? I'm with you. Like, I walked away from Kayvon too. I caught the end of that. I was running around and I just walked away thinking, wow, this is a highly, highly intelligent guy. And it's just kind of, 
on one positive and a negative at the same time, he has an answer for everything. And I think that kind of, you know, you could see how that wouldn't rub teams the wrong way in some scenarios. Because you look at Aiden Hutchinson, and it's like, this is a football player. I'm not saying he's not a smart guy. I'm not saying he doesn't have any other interests, but it's just like, I, I, I don't know. And I, I think Dan Campbell can talk other things in football too, but I think when he's spending the number two pick, second year of that new regime, I just think he wants that guy that he knows is going to be there in eight, nine, ten years. You know, Kayvon, who knows? I'm not saying he doesn't love football either. I mean, you hear it from him, you're going to hear it from James or Morgan live. And just like, I, I just think when you are comparing two of the top prospects in the game, two of the top players at their position, you are going to pick needles out of a haystack like that. You're going to be like, oh, where's this guy going to be in eight years? What if his NFT blows up? You know, what if... uh gets a deal doing this. I mean, that's not how I feel. I want multifaceted people too. But when I look at those two guys, it's like this guy lives, breathes football, football, football. When he goes to bed at night, when he wakes up in the morning, that's what he's doing. I, I think there's one clear answer between those two guys in Detroit. I, I agree. But we're just two guys with opinions and, you know, maybe some sources we can talk to. But I think it's a great time to bring in James because he has been around this guy for a couple of years. He, he You've seen him play and practice every day. So let's hear his perspective on some of this stuff that we're talking about. I think it's going to be pretty illuminating on, on this, uh, this topic. Okay, we're here uh, day, I don't know, whatever it has been of the combine. <laughs> <laughs> We've seen the, Indi- the inside of the Indiana Convention Center now for a few days straight, it feels like. Sitting here with James Crepia, the Oregon beat writer of basically every team in Oregon, it seems like, <laughs> from the Oregonian. James, how you doing? Doing well. Doing well. How you guys doing? Uh, I guess it's uh, weary at this point. This is usually where the strong survive at the Combine. Yeah, we're one million steps into the week and this hotel carpet is embedded into my brain. <laughs> <laughs> Very much so. Very much so. Uh, so as it relates to, to the lines at number two, uh, we've heard a lot about Aiden Hutchinson. We've talked a lot about Aiden Hutchinson, uh, the pass rusher from Michigan. There's another pass rusher that a lot of folks like for the Lions, Kayvon Thibodeau. Uh, a guy you know very well, James. Um, I guess, you know, I mean, we've seen the highlights. We've seen the stats. We, we know what this guy's done. I guess what can you tell us about what the Lions or a, a pro team could expect from uh, this guy beyond, you know, what we've seen in the box score? Sure. So first as a player, Kayvon is, one, just really explosive. Really explosive. All the measurables that you're going to see here at the Combine in terms of arm length, height, and all that, sure, that, that, that you can look up yourself. But the explosiveness, the speed, the power, the speed, the power moves that you can see and watch on tape, that stands out a lot. What you see in terms of when, you, when you're going to be pulling up highlights, you'll see on draft day, wherever he ends up going, Detroit or otherwise, you'll see the one-on-ones. You'll see him just completely manhandle tight ends in the Pac-12 who had no chance. I mean, 0.0% chance of a tight end in that league being able to block him. And there are some good tight ends. There are multiple tight ends in the league here at the combine. But they had no chance at all. Even offensive linemen in solo one-on-one matchups, many of them (laughs) did not fare very well. A couple of them here did and did okay. But others had really, again, no chance. But what you don't see, because on the highlights they'll show you those, what you don't see is because his skill set was so extreme for the Pac-12 that if you're basically put yourself in the shoes of the opposing offensive coordinator, particularly in the Pac-12 North, where I was telling you earlier in the day, look, you got other than Oregon and Washington State, the teams who they're going to play in the North, Washington, for at least now previously when, when he was playing, Oregon State, Cal and Stanford, the problem is that in college football and the NFL, the game has moved towards more spread, more open, much more high-octane offense. The Pac-12 North is football in like the 1980s, outside of Oregon and Washington State, which are the heavy offensive teams, 
Oregon much more true now pro what we think of a pro style 11 personnel RPOs those kinds of things Wazoo with the air raid previously now run and shoot four and five wide sets 10 10 personnel well that's not what the other four teams in the division are doing now Washington's about to change that but I say historically when Thibodeau was playing right you've got 12 and 13 personnel and 22 and 23 personnel well what you're not going to see on highlights on ESPN or NFL Network or anybody else or Twitter videos, and even if you look up mine that I tweet out along the way sometimes from, from games and stuff from KT, mine, even frankly, you'll see them more, is he's getting doubled and tripled and once or twice this season quadruple teamed. So when you hear things like, oh, his motor, oh, he doesn't bring it every play. Well, when you're getting the three and four guys running at you, <laughs> maybe one or two plays consecutively. Yeah, and guess what? On the second or third straight rep of that, for one-third of the schedule, he was getting manhandled by three. You know, again, the opposing offense coordinator had – he has a job to do, protect his quarterback. That he is did the, it pretty well. The, the motor thing you bring up is interesting because that is the the knock that we hear mm-hmm. um, on Kayvon, if there is one. And we're talking about a top-five pick here, so yeah. we're, we're splitting yeah. some hairs. But at the top of the draft, you do split hairs, and especially when you have two guys who mm-hmm. play the same position and – you know, the people I talk to around Allen Park, the draft analysts that you hear across the country, they do, they, they, they say Aiden Hutchinson is such a fit for it schematically in the position he plays or where their needs are mm-hmm. in the pass rush. But he also fits in terms of the character profile and the motor that, that they're looking for, the physicality, the sheer physicality they're looking for in that defense. Dan Campbell has been, you know, open about that's the kind of guy he's looking for. That's how they drafted last year. Sure. Panay Sewell, who you're very familiar yes. with awesome. from his Oregon days. That's exactly, you know, his cup. That's what he does. Uh, with Kayvon, maybe there's some more questions when it comes to physicality mm-hmm. and consistency in the motor. So I guess what do you say to some of those concerns that, that, that folks have? I'm just saying the context of one, without watching every game of Hutchinson, to be clear, and yeah, I saw some of Michigan at times, especially the Orange Bowl, where he was totally ineffective, but honestly. I mean, he didn't do anything in that game. So, you know, if you want to talk about going up against NFL caliber players, well, he went up against NFL caliber players in Georgia and he didn't do anything. Now he went up against NFL caliber players in Ohio State and he wrecked the game. So it's, you know, in context, he's had some really great games. Obviously, he was a tremendous player and did well against some good opponents. But against the national champion, he didn't do anything. For KT, he had some really good games against some better teams in the Pac-12. Now he missed the Ohio State game. He had an ankle injury. Came back this year and was playing on an ankle sprain. It was probably at somewhere around by the ballpark at, at his peak after returning from the injury. He was probably closer to 85 90%. I don't think he was ever at 100% after returning from the injury. And in the earlier time of it, it's like the Stanford game, if he was at 75%, it would stun me. And he actually played pretty well that day. And, and John Schneider was there, and Mike Mayock was in the press box that day at Stanford. So I would say to folks in terms of those who are going to question about motor or effort or those things, I'm not knocking Aiden Hutchinson at all. Look. If he ends up going to Detroit, for all the reasons you mentioned, makes a lot of sense. A lot of sense. To me, I'm not sure that these are two players who would ultimately play the exact same technique at the next level. I'm not like a professional talent evaluator, but I don't know if is Hutchinson looked at at this level as, is he a 5-6 technique that could go up to a wide 9, or is he already on the outside linebacker edge kind of deal and I know we're redefining what edge kind of means in these things Thibodeau I think more likely than not in the NFL will be a six to a nine I don't think you're going to see him as a hand in the dirt defensive end 
in the NFL. I'm not sure he will. He did it earlier in his career under a prior defensive coordinator during his first season and a half because the Pac-12 played half a football season in 2020 for reasons that have nothing to do with Kayvon Thibodeau. He did it, and he did it quite well. And you could look back at highlights of that in the 2020 Pac-12 championship game against USC. And, I mean, he blew up several plays in that game. Had a really good game. Won MVP and, and said after the game he shouldn't have been named MVP. It should have gone to the defensive back who got a couple of interceptions. But be it as it may, you know, he did well. He, and he can do that position also. But because of the measurables, because of the size, where he is probably more built like, and I, I realize that this comparison is going to leap out to people, but compares more to a Von Miller type. And I say that also because he just played for the same defensive coordinator, Tim DeRuiter, that coached Von Miller at Texas A&M, and he played the exact same position in that defense as Von Miller did. So that's what his last coach was comparing him to and having him play like. That's why I mentioned this. And I believe that he has touched base with Vaughn, I think, prior to this, this past season. He's also worked with Chuck Smith briefly. I don't think he got a chance to do as much with Chuck from a personal training standpoint before this past season. But to all these issues that come up, I mentioned that, hey, player comp, and he worked with Vaughn, or at least touched base with Vaughn. He's worked with one of the great pass rush specialists, outside specialists, works with basically every top pass rusher in the league or a huge portion of them. So when you hear things about, like, well, does he care about football or he's a really learned guy and that's going to come off in the interviews here and people are going to say, well, you know, somebody like that, does he have interest outside of it? Yeah, he has interest outside of it, but it's balance, balance where he, he loves this game. He loves his craft because this is what he's working on. These are the people he's working with. These are the people he's seeking advice from. This isn't somebody who just so happens to be really talented, but then he has all these other things. It's all a distraction. Not at all. No, he's just, he's dedicated. He's got that. I'm, I'm curious. How does uh, Kayvon compare to Panay Sewell, like, personality-wise? Because Panay just oh, screams totally Dan Campbell-type, like, yeah. ass-kicker, like, cocky, running off the field, <laughs> yapping at Aaron Donald and stuff like that. So I'm just curious, like, what's the personality comparison so, there? So that part of it, I think on the field, they're actually probably pretty, pretty similar. And in practice, you'll hear, I'm sure you guys probably touch base at one point or another with Mario Cristobal for Panay and stuff. And they, he would tell you that those practices, I mean, the, the practice tape, I'm sure, for Oregon, 2019, 2018 and 2019, well, 2019, yeah, because that was when KT was there, had th- those practice tapes had to be just passed around the NFL, just like bananas. I mean, just completely like, you know, un- unbelievable. When they talk about the whole cliche of iron sharpens iron, well, <laughs> how many teams other than Alabama and Georgia and maybe occasionally a place like Clemson or Ohio State, you know, could really say that they had, and what was the last time on the West Coast outside of like SC 20 years ago, we'd say they had a back-to-back first round and the top 10 potentially if, if KT ends up there at a left tackle position and at a defensive end position and doing that in practice for you I mean really significant early in players careers young guys on the field that is there I, I think the comparison or certain like-mindedness by way of competitiveness sure I do think though the personality wise away from football or off the field with a time to cool down. <laughs> These are two wildly different. Panay, at least last I spoke to him, is a just 330-pound man-child yeah, yes. um, <laughs> who absolutely loves life, lives life in a huge way, but is just a very big kid. And I'm sure eventually with time and age that will that will pass to a point. But I, he, is a, he is a kid in, in, in terms of, and I don't mean that in a negative, it's gonna, it may sound that way, but he just loves life in a, in a ch- almost child-like love of life. KT is a different kind of dude, man. He's just wired different. 
this is a guy where this has all been part of a plan, not just because he was the number one high school recruit and a five-star and highly sought after and he had all these money-making deals in NIL this past year and all these things. Yes, but all of this has been part of a very meticulous, well-thought-out plan for many years. Things that were identified, you know, get, get on to the NIL stuff, which I realize NFL fans could care less because whatever. Um, but in college, it's been kind of a big thing the last six months. He had this mapped out. He had plans. He had ideas for where this was going to go about brand and those sorts of things and who he'd work with and what he's about. I mean, this guy plays chess, and I don't mean that figuratively. He literally plays chess well and has done... He carries... In, I mean, there's videos you can go pull up. I want to say if it's... Uh, the name of the which outlet it was now so I don't want to give false credit bottom line you can find it from years ago when he was high school recruit he carries around a chessboard in his car or at least I don't know how many cars he's got now he's got several <laughs> several deals um, through NIL quite literally living there so I, I don't know I don't know how many I don't know how many chessboards he's carrying around these days um, and how many handcrafted ones probably out of like stone granite and marble but quite literally no he, he used to drive around with a chessboard in his car this guy's just wired different and I'm not saying that Panay couldn't eventually play chess, but Panay, Panay, Panay was good, you know, Panay may do, you know, like, human bowling before he'll yeah. play, play playing chess. It's just for that. Well, you, I mean, you bring up a good point, James, because, you know, fair or not, I think it's not, you know, we, teams more than ever, the NFL more than ever is, is asking these questions about, do you love football, quote-unquote? And I do yeah. think they're trying to ferret out in their own ways, is this guy going to quit because of concussions or whatever other interests he might have in two or three or five or seven years? We're seeing that more and more across mm -hmm. the league, and you're seeing more and more of these questions at the same time popping up at events like this at the Combine designed to ferret out, does this guy love football enough that he's going to stick with it? And so with Kayvon, he's been very public about, you know, all these other interests that he has. Guy like Panay, I think he appealed to the Lions because he was mean and he was dumping guys on their asses 15 yards downfield. But he also was about football and football only. And that, to me, fits and meshes with Dan Campbell. And that's not to say he's going to be so rigid that he's only going to go after guys like that. You, you can't yeah. do that. You can't ha construct a football team of uh, 53 guys with the same personality. And you can't look away from playmakers who might have an interest in, say, chess. But when you're splitting hairs at the top of the draft, maybe that is a deciding factor. You know, it's, it's an, it's, I guess it's interesting as it relates to Panay and, and Kayvon because Panay's IC is cut from that cloth and maybe K KT a little bit less so. In a, like you say, really in a different way. Different, I, I would say it's almost like just totally different ends of, of the same cloth and that. Again, he, he really does love this game, man. I mean, like I can tell you, in high school, he grew up in South Central Los Angeles. When, when you'll hear from him, I, I make the comparison because, quite frankly, he, he would tell you it's a comparison, not because I'm, I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> he will come off like Nipsey Hussle. He, he speaks of things far greater than the craft. At times, maybe perhaps even to his own detriment, frankly, in interviews. It may, it may end up rubbing people the wrong way at times, quite frankly, because he's, he's, he's an intellectual guy. He's a smart guy really smart guy he will be outside the game but growing up there he was also working at athletic games i can say that because i'm not giving up a plug or anything but like the ability to pull up on his social media that's, that's where he works out and there's a lot of top athletes including football and basketball and guys work out there and stuff well athletic games is in cal it has a couple locations but the location he was going to a lot in high school was in calabasas i was getting up at like five in the morning and driving from south central to calabasas and it's not around the corner he was doing that throughout high school high school so that's what I say like he cares yep. he cares about winning he cares about his performance he cares about improving and honing his craft so all these things that even get into like well doesn't have enough refined pass rush moves and those things like I say 
if you give him, you got to remember well how different 2020 was for the Pac-12, for Oregon, for other things. I mean, these guys couldn't, like, the offensive line at Oregon, for example, like when Panay opted out of the year anyway, but the offensive line couldn't hit, like, they couldn't hit each other. They couldn't have contact in 2020 in practice. Like, they, they, could, they couldn't, they basically couldn't even work with medicine. You're, you're talking about, like, just a totally different world, basically, in terms of how things were being done in 2020. So, for all intents and purposes, the 2020 season wanted to just have a season. It was a bastardized season because of how compromised everything was from a development standpoint. And that's not knocking any coaches. That's just knocking the restrictions that were in place that were so much more so than other parts of the country. So, while everyone's had to deal with the last two years, it was way in the Pacific Northwest in particular. So, the younger player coming along, even when they have that passion and that drive to Mm -hmm. do some of those things and make some of those improvements, hard to do at this particular time um, that we were living through. But if you give him now a full NFL offseason going into his rookie year or going into his second year, and then he does spend that much more time with a guy like Chuck Smith and does his private training in the offseason at Athletic Canes or anywhere else for that matter, whatever franchise he ends up at, this guy's ceiling is going to be magnitudes higher than he has already shown. That I can say unequivocally. The, the scale of development ahead of him is monumental. It is humongous. Because, again, I think he could just make tremendous strides just by having, frankly, a couple of normal years of development. And, you know, knock on wood, if he doesn't suffer another high ankle sprain, they <laughs> can derail a season uh, pretty nicely, no matter who, no matter what league you're playing in. Where, where has he made the most growth? You know, highly touted recruit. I think he was one or two in the nation when he came. But where, mm-hmm. where has he grown the most from high school senior to right now? Probably from what from what I've seen and what I can tell, I could probably say he may be viewed as somewhat raw now, mm-hmm. particularly at the beginning of his freshman year. He, the, I mean, he was even more raw. You know, the effectiveness, like he, I think he ended up his, I think he ended his freshman year was either nine or nine and a half sacks. But again, this is somebody going into the season. I mean, when I talk about plans and those things, he was shooting the moon and he was backing it up. And that, you know, at a preseason media day for Oregon in, in 2019. Oh well, yeah. You have goals for you know, tangible numeric goals. For you. Yeah, I want to average ten sacks. Why? Other than what sounds like a nice number, you know, ten's, <laughs> yeah. ten's nice. Why, why ten? Well, because if you average ten sacks, you get ten sacks a season. But if you do it for two, three seasons, you'll be a first-round draft pick. The data backs it up. Well, lo and behold, it does. That's why I tell you, the guy, just, the guy cares. He's around the right people. So that's there. Now, at the beginning of that time, he was raw. He closed out really well that year. Why was 2020 a bit different beyond even more on a per-game basis, a little bit different, but again, closed nicely in the Pac-12 championship game? Well, again, for restrictions for half a season, for they didn't even know if they were playing some weeks, quite literally, or not in that season. This season, if you look at it, albeit it's one quarter, and yeah, it's Fresno State, but Fresno State ended up actually having a pretty good season. The way he started that game, you want to talk about shot out of a cannon. I mean, it's one quarter, but he sprains the ankle at the end of the first quarter. But if that doesn't happen, I mean, the amount of GMs, the amount of personnel and scouts who were in Columbus, Ohio the following week to see him, and he couldn't play. Yeah. And yeah, and obviously, you guys were there when I was mentioning, but yes, Brad Holmes was at the right. UCLA game at the Rose Bowl. Yeah. He was there in person, and he wasn't alone. You know, Texan GM was also there. And so was Chris Ballard of the Colts who was also there. So, yeah, you know, he's been sought after. He's been watched 
for a couple of years now in the league. How, where has he made the biggest growth? I think he was even more raw early. It's gotten there. Physically, he has definitely filled out even more than, and he came in as a really imposing 18-year-old, but he has filled out even more. But again, to me, it's like when you're looking at a guy on a rookie deal of four and the club fifth, and what this could look like at 24, 25, 20. Again, I think that the, I wouldn't even want to begin to put a ceiling on this guy. I, I mean, you, 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 you tell him he don't have to worry about class anymore, and now he can just <laughs> yeah. make it about football. <laughs> oh my God! I, I like I say, I, 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 I hesitate to. Put, I really do. I, I, I think the, really this guy is the limit. Yeah, in terms of yes, he, he is not the long by way of you know he's not six seven or something like that you know you know i'm not saying like every measurable is perfect by any stretch but when you just put the whole package together and say he's still at this age what could be down the road when you know he's already got these connections around him you know this is somebody who's who has very set goals and a plan and he doesn't routinely you know he doesn't make it a routine to fall short of it he sets them, and he is hell-bent on getting there. <laughs> and I think with the time and the dedication that he's already shown and exhibited in college, if he ends up bringing that to the NFL, whatever team, whether it is Detroit or anywhere else, I think whoever the team is is going to be fortunate to get him. I really do, because I think his, his future is really, really bright. James Kepia, thank you very much. Great Appreciate stuff. it, guys. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. Good stuff. I, I enjoyed that chat. Yeah. Talkative talk, talk yeah. guy. Yeah, he did. He did. You know, it was, uh, I think we asked him like four questions in the span of however long it was. I was just going to say with James, it was like, we'd, we'd squeeze in a question and just give him the the runway. I'll say this. Kayvon seems like a cool guy to hang out with. Yeah. 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 I want to play chess with him straight yeah. up. I mean, I, I enjoy a game here, there, and, uh, you know, he's, he's pretty serious about it. You had some great quotes from the combine. It kind of reminded me of The Wire, actually, that scene yeah. from The Wire where they're playing chess and, and <laughs> they're making the metaphor that, you know, the, the drug trade in Baltimore, which is what The Wire's about, it's like, you know, some big chess game, essentially. And Kayvon actually kind of did some of that stuff with talking about how, like, if you get stalemated with the first move, you got to bring your power move and, like, <laughs> setting up his power move, the speed move. And you gotta, when you make one move, you always got to make one move with the next move in mind. Like, like, like you said, Ben, earlier, you know, he says a lot of the right things. He, he's an impressive guy. But then, like, for example, like one of the right things that he said was, I'm here to compete. I'm here to do everything hmm. pro to prove to teams that I love football. And then the next day, he, he runs a wicked fast 40-yard dash with a, a really nice split. And then he's like, peace. He just dropped out. He grabbed his bag and was gone. Yeah. And that was it. I mean, he did the bench press earlier in the day, but he didn't do any of this, the other agility drills. He didn't jump. He didn't do positional drills. Is that a big deal? I really don't think it is, like in the grand scheme. But it is another data point that you have to consider when you're trying to figure out, does this guy love ball? Does he get, does this guy have the competitiveness that, say, Aiden Hutchinson does? You know, and, and when you're making this comparison between two guys, two pass rushers, you're going to have, hopefully, in your organization for years and years to come, really, whether a guy competes in everything of the combine or not, really is insignificant, shouldn't matter. But yeah. Kayvon Thibodeau went to Indianapolis with a chance to silence some of the questions that were about him, and he didn't do that either. So for me, again, I just walked. It's another reason why I walked away from the combine. You know, we were driving up in our in our car after the combine. I'm just thinking to myself, it's it's Aiden. Like, they're, yeah. this is what I heard going in, and I saw nothing here to to move me off that notion. Well, the thing about skipping the rest of the combine drills, like you said, in the in the grand scheme of things, it's a minuscule deal, nothing. But this is the way I look at it. If I'm in his shoes and I'm going into Indy, and all I'm hearing about is my lack of motor, my lack or questions concerning my love of the game, or just like. 
the last thing I'm doing is booking out of there after 25 minutes on the field. I'm going to try to be first in line on every drill. I'm going to do everything. I'm going to do everything twice if they let me do it, just to prove these teams wrong. Like, I'm here to compete. I love this game. This is what I want to do. I mean, in the grand scheme, it's nothing. It's nothing. But when you're picking between two talents like this, it's like, well, here, man, this was the main question about you. And yeah, you looked great in the things you did, but then you left early. It's just, it's confusing. It's just not how I would handle myself if all I heard about myself was my question of love of the game and my motor. When Ben's voice climbs four octaves, I know this series. <laughs> I know this series. <laughs> Get that? <laughs> no, I agree with you. And, and we were in accord and our mocks reflected that. Now we're getting a little long in the tooth on this episode, but maybe we could just very briefly talk about what we had the Lions doing at the bottom of the first round. What direction did you go for Detroit? I had Georgia wide receiver George Pickens there. You know, I kind of, I had Pickens between Green Bay and Detroit at 27 and 32, and I ended up sending Traylon Burks to Green Bay and sent George Pickens to the Detroit Lions. Uh, I just think checks a lot of boxes what they're looking for. Six foot three, one of the best catch radiuses on this board. And I, I just think every year there's a guy who gets forgotten about this time of year because he got hurt and missed a lot of the season. George Pickens is back. He was back in that national title game, caught a 52-yard pass, and uh, got any questions about his physicality, just ask Dax Hill from Michigan. This guy will lay you out, turn to all your friends and family, and point at them and tell them to shut up. I mean, seriously, this is a high-motor ass-kicker right here. He's going to be slept on a little bit just because he was hurt all last year. But, I mean, six foot three, downfield machine, checks a lot of the boxes of what they need and what they want in a player. I think I was on the... Uh dudes who got ran over beat when I was in Indianapolis. <laughs> I talked to Thera Munford about getting run over by Aiden Hutchinson. And then I also talked to, to Dax Hill about getting run over by George Pickens. <laughs> Munford was funny and had a lot to say about Aiden Hutchinson. Not all of it's super kind, but Dax Hill just tried to play down and said he wasn't looking. Like, I, I don't know about that. I've watched the film. He got de-cleated. And then Pickens looks over at the Michigan sideline and just starts pointing and taunting. And again, you, you can't look at that and not think about Dan Campbell. Yep. Like, that is what he's looking for. Like, he was literally, literally cheering on Amon Ross St. Brown for fighting in practice last year. Like, Campbell on the first day of Padwork says, I want to see a fight. Like, he literally unprompted <laughs> launched into a story about how he, like, how fighting in camp is important. And then that day, the rookie fourth-round pick gets in a fight. And a day later, like predictably, Campbell like backs up his guy and says, this is why it's important and why I like to see it. And he was like basically cheering it on. And then one day after that, St. Brown gets in another fight with Jeff Okuda, <laughs> the former third overall pick. It's that you have a 112th overall pick in his rookie camp picking a fight with a top five pick from the year before. I mean, that's the kind of guy they're looking for. Yep. And that's the way St. Brown played this year. It's the way Sewell played this year. The, the tenacity, the just not backing down, the attitude. And that's what you see in George Pickens. And I'm totally... In agreement with you. I, I, he's one of, I, I love the combine because you learn a lot about guys either like by talking to the guys and then watching their tape or maybe talking to people who cover those guys and, and you get a better understanding for where guys are at. And I knew Pickens could, could ball. I, I saw, you know, I, like his, his freshman season, yeah. Georgia was incredible. And some of these catches, like one handed catches, I mean, I hate comparing guys to Calvin Johnson. I'm not comparing George Pickens <laughs> to Calvin Johnson, but he has some catches on tape where he is laying out one handed for catches, like, like just fully spread out. Oh, six for three of them. And it, it reminds me somewhat of what Calvin could do sometimes with, you know, just with the downfield catches and stuff. What I didn't know about George Pickens was the tenacity in his game. I mean, like I, I wrote in my mock draft, he'd block your mother yeah. if, she, if, <laughs> if she was lined up across from him. He'd block his mother <laughs> if she was lined up across from him. I mean, that's, and that is the, 
the tenacity and the attitude the Lions are looking for. Of course, you need the ability to back it up, and I think he does too. There's the injury questions. He he hurt the ACL last spring. Um, so he played in four games last year. I think it was something like 40 offensive snaps last year. But even those 40 offensive snaps had two of the best catches in, in college football last year, one of which was like a 52-yarder uh, in the title game against him. Then he goes to, to the combine. I don't have the 40 in front of me, but it was very fast and answered questions about the health of the ACL. Of course, you have to think about the injury history with guys you're taking them. But I, I guess it's a long way of saying I very much agree with you. And I think he's going <laughs> to be extremely high on the line's wish list. Like for me personally, uh, I don't really have a good sense into their thinking on this topic, but I sense that Drake London would be their pick if he's there. And if Drake London's not, not there, then some combination of Traylon Burks and George Pickens. Like those three guys to me are big, meaty, physical ass kickers, mm-hmm. you know? And so I like that pick. Ben, I had Pickens on my board at 32. I had them going with N'Kobe Dean, uh, the, the linebacker from Georgia, because Dean was, if Dean weren't there, you know, Pickens could very well be the pick. I even said in my mock that, that he could be the pick of 34. The, the lines are back yeah. on the clock two picks later. But with Dean there, you and who knows if he'll last a 32. But that's the way my board fell. And I don't think he's going to go in the top 20. And if he slides down to 32, man, the opportunity to add the number one edge rusher in this class and then the fastest linebacker in this class. And I know there's some size concerns and I think those are pretty valid with Dean. It's probably, I mean, if he was bigger, he'd be a top 10, top 15 guy, but he is so damn fast and so instinctual, flies all over the field. He'd probably be a weak side linebacker in the line scheme because of his size, but he, he's basically, he moves like Jalen Reese may have been, but good, you know, like a playmaker. And, and when was the last time the Lions had a guy like that at the second level? And to add that behind a, a, a front that just added two defensive tackles, you know, early last year, didn't then just adds the top pass rusher this year. I mean, playmakers at the first and second level, new playmakers at those levels for a defense that was already trending up, I think, you know, down the stretch last year, at least until they were out, man, mm-hmm. you know, just losing all the guys to COVID and stuff. I am real excited about that, that, that pick if it were to happen for Detroit. I, I don't know if Dean will fall that far, you know, we'll, we'll see, but you know. It'll be interesting to to see it sort out. Yeah, he was the unquestioned heart of Georgia's national championship defense. And I mean, like you said, he's the fastest linebacker in the class. He's got to be the best open field tackler in the class. I mean, this you talk about Kyle Hamilton covering field. This guy from the middle of the defense covers so much field and an eye-popping rate. I mean, just... I mean, think about how Detroit's defense looked improved last year. That was with Alex Anzalone in the middle of the defense most of the season. Nobody missed more tackles at his position before his injury in the league. I mean... Dean's not going to miss tackles. He's going to track you down. And those size concerns are an issue, you know. I mean, he's going to be the first body on the ball more times than not. And that is what you're looking for out of a rookie linebacker like that. Ball instincts. This guy's got him. Can cover the field. I mean, seriously. Open field tackler. Playmaker at linebacker. I don't think they've had that since what? 2013, 2014? DeAndre Levy, man. This last time I saw one. And before he before. <laughs> He fell off the face of the universe, you know, and and we haven't seen a sense. We've seen some guys come through that were all right. I think Alex Anzalone's a perfect encapsulation of that, like an all right player. He ate a lot of snaps, but did not make a lot of plays for you. So I, I think linebackers high on their hierarchy of needs going into into this offseason. Got free agency next week, Ben. Real over that year at M Live and probably in the podcast next week as well. But the draft effort will continue uh, unabated because uh, you know, we're in that season and lots to talk about for Detroit coming up the next few weeks. We'll be here on the podcast. This has been Ben Raven and Kyle Mikey of M Live's Detroit Lions Beat. 
Thank you for listening to the Dungeon of Doom, an MLive Detroit Lions podcast. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast, Apple, Spotify, Google. Like I said, wherever you get them and listen to them, make sure to subscribe to the Dungeon of Doom. Thanks again.